the unknown. Mystery. Space. Have fun. Adventure. Suspense. Fantasy. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. Welcome to journey number 195 of the Journey Into podcast, featuring Like a Moth to a Flame by Barry Hayworth. I am your guide on this journey, Marshall Latham, coming to you from base camp in the Treasure Valley. We are here to cap off the Quartal Quell writing contest and present to you the first place winner of the contest. This story comes to us today from Barry Hayworth, who has been a a longtime audience member of the podcast. I've interacted with Barry here and again over the years, and I was surprised when uh, Barry said he was going to join the contest. I had never known that he that he was a writer or had had a desire to write. And I think he was surprised <laughs> that his story won the contest. And But the, the story speaks for itself. And we'll get to that. But let me give you a little bio here for Barry. Barry works as a data scientist with the Australian Taxation Office, which is more interesting than you might think. Barry lives in Brisbane, Australia, with his wife, Sylvia, his three unmarried children, their five cats, and one dog. Barry's married daughter has just made him a grandfather. Outside of work and family, Barry's hobby is community theater, where he has performed a variety of roles over the years, including some Shakespeare, Malvolio in Twelfth Night, and Prospero in The Tempest, Marley's Ghost and Ebenezer Scrooge in two different versions of A Christmas Carol. He's also done a few musicals, a murder mystery or two, and a lot of children's theater with his daughters when they were younger. Barry is currently rehearsing for a production of Frankenstein, his first ever science fiction play. That'd be fun. Barry has listened to Journey Into for many years. He has meant to enter several past writing competitions, but only managed to complete something for this latest one. And it's a good thing you did, because you won the contest. (laughs) That's cool. This story is narrated for you today by Rich Outfield, who you obviously know from the many podcasts that we do together, as well as his involvement in many of my uh, full cast productions here. It was my full intention to do this full cast as well, but Rish had reached out to me and said, hey, let me help you with these contests. Uh, I'll read a story for you. 
And so I gave him this one because I knew that I needed someone that could do a good English accent. And I thought Rish would work really well for that story. I had intended to get other voice actors to do other parts and let Rish be the narrator and probably Brother Michael. And I even thought of asking Barry if he would like to voice the part of Algy. And I had reached out to a couple people uh, to do the, the women's roles for this. But when I listened to Rish's reading of this, and I thought he captured the character so well, especially the part of Madame Esmeralda, which I thought you know would need to be emphasized quite a bit. And I, and I, I really enjoyed what he put together, and so I decided, you know what? This is just going to be a single narrator reading with Rish doing all of the voices. And I appreciate his talent and his willingness to help me out with this production as well as many others. Oh, also, before I play the story, let me tell you the words that Barry was given uh, as a prompt for this story. The words are rebut, knock, tonal, and skull. And uh, I think it's time for us to get on with this story. So come with me and let's journey into a dark room where the spirits are close. Like a Moth to a Flame by Barry Hayworth Narrated by Rish Outfield. Brother Michael took his seat at the small table and looked around the room. The group tonight at Madame Esmeralda's private seance was small but select. Apart from Brother Michael himself, a last-minute addition to the party, there were Lady Cavendish in her widow's black and her son, Algernon. Algernon had come to see Brother Michael at St. Dymphna's Hospice the previous week. There was nothing unusual about that, of course. They were friends of many years standing, ever since their school days. But this time, after the usual pleasantries and news, Algy had taken on a more somber expression. What's the problem, Algy? Michael had asked. You seem to be more serious than usual today. Is it anything to do with your late father? Is there anything I can help you with? I know I'm only a junior member of the Order, but... I'm always ready to listen and give what advice I can. Algy had made a small, sad smile in response to that. Thanks awfully, old chap, he said. It's good of you to notice. Truth is, I do have something I wanted to talk to you about, and it is to do with the pater. Oh, not directly, at least not on my account, he added, as he noticed Michael's look of quiet concern. Father had a long and happy life— and made as good a shot of passing on as you might expect. I miss him, of course, but you and your friends here in the Order gave us a great deal of support, and I have no worries as to where he might have ended up. No, it's, it's nothing like that. Glad to hear it, old chap. But if it isn't that, then what? I'm afraid it's my mother, don't you know? She's taking things rather badly. That put a different face on the matter. 
Though Lord Cavendish had reached a fine old age, late into his seventies, his wife was much younger than he. When, well past middle age, he had fallen madly in love with the beautiful young actress who became Lady Cavendish. Though the affair had happened well before either man was born, the scandal was still remembered in society circles and had been a fond remembrance by the couple themselves. Talk of seductive fortune hunters melted away over the years in light of the couple's obvious, indeed notorious, devotion to one another, while talk of marriages of convenience were dispelled by the arrival of young Algernon a decent interval after the wedding. Lady Cavendish's grief at the death of her husband was deep and prolonged. "'I'm very sorry to hear that, Algy,' Michael replied. "'I know that she took your father's death hard, but I thought she was moving on with life. She and I had some good long talks after the funeral, and she seemed to be happy enough that she will see him again in the next life.' "'That's the thing. It seems that she doesn't want to wait that long.' She started getting into all this spiritualism nonsense, going to seances, trying to get messages from the great beyond, and all that sort of claptrap. I've tried telling her it's all rubbish, and she won't listen. I've told her that the mediums she's consulted are all charlatans, and she won't have a bar of it. I've even pointed out that if it were all true, there was no way father would trust some silly medium to pass on a message— that one got a bit of a smile from her, but she keeps on doing it. So how did she take to that? Well, she heard me out, but she still hasn't changed her mind about it. She keeps getting drawn to it like a moth to a candle flame. She's going to a private séance next week with some big name in spiritualist circles, Madame Esmeralda or some such, and is trying to drag me along too. I was hoping you could help me somehow. Is there any way you could reason her out of it? Michael shook his head. No, I don't think so. Your mother is grieving, Algy. She misses your father dreadfully and isn't being entirely reasonable about it. When someone is like that, you can't reason them out of it. This isn't a college debate where you can rebut their position with a well-constructed argument. She might know that you're right, but in her heart she misses your father— and will do what she can to talk with him, even if she knows it won't work. Well, is there anything you can do? I know you used to dabble in that sort of thing when we were undergrads. I seem to remember you bragging about sneaking into seances and disrupting them, showing up the charlatans for what they were. Yes, I did. I got into all sorts of scrapes back then, until I had an encounter with some of the friends of one of the mediums who put the wind up me good and proper, made me rethink my life altogether. That's what made me drop out of Oxford and join the novitiate here at the Order, if you remember. Well, yes, which is why I think you must be able to help somehow. Could you at least come along with me to the séance? They had argued a little more, but the matter was not really in doubt. Michael let his mind return to the present. The four were seated around a small table in the parlor of Madame Esmeralda's house. Michael sat opposite Algy, with Lady Cavendish to his left facing the medium, who sat to his right. Madame Esmeralda was beginning her introduction. "'I bring you greetings from the great beyond. I welcome those who come seeking truth, 
Those who truly seek will find. I also welcome those who doubt, those who come to mock. For light has no fear of darkness, and truth has no argument with lies. But be warned, all will find what they truly seek, not least those who seek evil and destruction. She let her eyes wander around the room as she said this, and it seemed to Michael that her eyes lingered on him a little more than on the others. Perhaps he was mistaken. Be assured, the hidden world lies all around us, waiting and eager to be found. We need only open our hearts, draw aside the veil, and seek. As she spoke, servants closed the curtains of the small parlor in which the meeting was taking place. The outside light was dimmed, and the room fell into shadow. A small lamp in the center of the table was lit, burning a strangely aromatic oil with an open flame, shedding a dim, dancing light on the four faces around it. In the corner of the room, another servant set an ornate music box playing. The music began softly, then moved through a strange series of tonal progressions in the background. The servants bowed to the medium and left the room, closing the door behind them. Open your hearts. Open your minds. Wait in silence. Listen for the whispers of the infinite. The music continued softly in the background. In the flickering light of the lamp, Michael could dimly see the other figures around the table, their shadows dancing blackly behind them. The smoke from the lamp began to fill the air with a rich, spicy smell, like the incense used in the mass. A few more minutes passed. Then the medium spoke again. I feel the invisible drawing near. I feel that it wants to speak to us. We are listening. Speak! The table seemed to creak. Then a light tapping sound was heard, distinctly audible, but hard to place against the sound of the music box. Michael thought it might be coming from the center of the table. The scratching sound grew louder, more distinct. Again, the medium spoke. Spirit, do you have a message for anyone here? Knock once for yes, twice for no. The sound reverberated through the room. Are you the one who has passed from this world to the next? Are you known to one of us here present? Do you have a message for me, spirit? Is the message for one of these young men? Is your message for Lady Cavendish? Did you know Lady Cavendish in life? There was a gasp from Lady Cavendish. Madame Esmeralda paused in her questioning. The medium's face was flushed, and she was breathing heavily, and a thin sheen of perspiration glistened on her forehead. Lady Cavendish took courage to speak. Madame Esmeralda, are you all right? You look like this is taking a toll on you. The medium smiled softly. There is nothing to fear, my child. The spirits mean nothing for us but good. 
They may make demands on the flesh, and this is because of how far we are from their world. The more we are enmeshed in the dull matter of this world, the harder it is for them to contact us. Once they do, however, the contact brings a great benefit to the soul. She paused a moment. Nevertheless, I cannot deny that the effort is a great one. I wonder, could you help me, my child? I feel that there is a great power in you, and if you could just lend me your strength, it would go well. Algernon bristled at the suggestion. Mother, you, you can't really be thinking of... But Lady Cavendish stopped him. Algy, think what this could mean. It may be some message from your father. If there is a chance, it is him I have to take it. I have never come so close as this. You heard what Madame Esmeralda said, that the spirits mean us no harm. Don't you trust her? Don't you think that Brother Michael would warn us if there was any danger? Algy sat back, muttering a little, but making no further objection. Michael also made no objection. Satisfied, Lady Cavendish turned to the medium. I am willing to help if I can, Madame Esmeralda. What must I do? Lend me your strength, child. I feel there is a power within you and an eagerness to see the other side. Take my hands and let us continue. The two women clasped hands across the table. The medium spoke again. I feel the presence still near to us. Reach out, Lady Cavendish. Do you feel it also? I think so. Then speak to it. Speak and do not fear. Lady Cavendish paused. The sweet music continued in the background while the scent from the lamp grew thicker about them. Then she spoke. Is, is there anyone there? Do you have a message for me? Are you someone I knew before you passed on? Are you, are you my husband? Lady Cavendish gasped. Oh, George, is that you? Oh, George, it's been so long. I've missed you so much. Have you missed me? Oh, my dearest, how I've missed you. How I have longed to see you again. If, oh, oh, if only I could see you one more time. The medium spoke again, her voice sounding a little strained. There might be a way not to see him fully, she said, as Lady Cavendish started her face a mixture of hope and fear. For the spirits of the departed have passed beyond the veil and cannot return fully to the mortal realm. Yet even so, a glimpse can be seen as from afar. Lend me your power, my child, and do not fear. The two women clasped hands more firmly across the table. Brother Michael could see Algernon glowering and seeming about to interrupt where he sat opposite. But when he met Michael's gaze and saw him shake his head slightly, he subsided a little. Madame Esmeralda began to whisper quickly and faintly. So, sorry, where's my life, Switzerland? 
trees on the other side with the passive great air beyond the veil. A new harshness coming into her voice, her words hissing into the corners of the room and seeming to mingle with the music. Her grasp on Lady Cavendish tightened, and Michael could see the widow tense, as if in pain at the sudden strength of that grasp. Then it seemed that a faint breeze stirred the still air of the room. The smoke from the lamp, which had previously risen straight into the air, began to swirl about and gather above them in the center of the table. As they watched, the swirls of smoke twisted round and around each other, forming what looked like a ball which rotated in the air between them. As they watched, the ball of smoke began to twist and elongate in different places. While one side remained smooth, the other became flatter and markings seemed to form. The bottom of this side seemed to split off and two blank spaces appeared above the split. With a start, Michael realized he was looking at a skull which hung in the air between them with gaping eyes and open jaw. The smoky skull turned in the air and seemed to consider each of them one after another before the slow rotation brought it to face Lady Cavendish. It ceased rotating and appeared to look steadily at her. Michael could see her tense further, her face pale and her eyes wide. As the strange music continued and the scent of the incense seemed to make everything swirl, they could all see the skull seem to move towards her face. With a jerk, Lady Cavendish pulled away from it, pushing her chair backwards. She made to pull her hands from the medium's grasp, but the medium tightened her grip. No! No! She hissed, her voice descending into harshness now. Do not move. You have called, and he has come. You wish to be united with your husband, and you will be. Your soul will be ripped from your body and another will inhabit it. You will join your husband in death while the demon Mariscalus Horium will take over your life and bring more hapless seekers to me to be possessed like you or to sit hapless like these two young men you thought would protect you. They cannot resist my spell of sleep and will remember nothing while you go out into the world on his behalf. Now. Breathe him in. Let his spirit infuse through your body and cast out yours. To his horror, Michael found he could not move. The heady smoke from the lamp seemed to paralyze his body, letting him only watch in horror as the skull floated closer to Lady Cavendish's face. Algy looked blearily at the scene, but seemed to make a final effort. He rose clumsily to his feet, jostling the table and knocking over his chair. The lamp rocked on its base and fell over, spilling oil across the table. Lady Cavendish pulled her hands from the medium's grip. She clutched the crucifix hanging around her neck and quickly cried, Rebut pulsate nullicranium! Several things happened at once. The medium fell backwards with a shriek. The oil from the lamp caught fire, setting the wooden table ablaze. Algy staggered about blindly knocking over the music box, which ceased playing with a final atonal jingle. Brother Michael found he could move again, his head suddenly clear. While Lady Cavendish guided her dazed son to the door, Michael grabbed the senseless medium and brought her safely out as well before shutting the heavy door. Behind them, the room began to burn and fill with smoke. 
Police and fire brigade arrived quickly, and the blaze was contained before it could damage the rest of the house. Algernon gave the account to the police of how the blaze had started when the fumes from the lamp caused the medium to pass out across the table, knocking the lamp over and making it spill its oil across the table, and how he had, by his quick thinking, brought his mother to safety while Michael had rescued the medium. Lady Cavendish wept and clung to her son's arm while Michael silently nodded at his friend's story with a private thought of the penance he would need to do for the sin of misdirection. Madame Esmeralda, though conscious, did not recover her senses, but sat huddled helplessly, gibbering and staring at shadows. The police agreed that Brother Michael could take her to the hospital for further care until she came to herself, or relatives could be found to take care of her. The next day, Brother Michael received another visitor at the hospice. This time it was Lady Cavendish. "'Good morning, Lady Cavendish. Have you come to check on our latest boarder?' "'Yes, and to thank you for your help yesterday. How is poor Madame Esmeralda doing, if that is her real name?' "'She's been doing about as well as can be expected. She has been awake and aware, though she has not yet spoken anything coherent.' She was able to feed and clean herself this morning, and she joined the brothers and the other boarders in the chapel for morning mass without any fuss, a very good indication that the demon has been completely exorcised. It's still early days, but I am hopeful she can make a full recovery. I am so glad. Have you been able to trace any family, or any of the people she worked with? No, I'm afraid not. The other brothers in the order have been going over what records we were able to salvage from the fire, but there isn't much to work with. The servants could tell us nothing. They had all been hired in the last month or so. We're going over what remains after the fire, but I'm not very hopeful we'll find out anything we don't already know. Well, at least we saved that poor woman from the demon and stopped it from preying on more poor souls. We can take comfort in that. Yes, we can. And can I say, you put in a very impressive performance yesterday. I've not seen you in action before, but you played the role of the impressionable grieving widow very convincingly. You must have been quite something in your days on the stage. No wonder poor Algy was worried about you. Lady Caversham laughed. <laughs> yes, my last and greatest role. I must say I never thought I would be returning to acting at my time of life after leaving it behind so many years ago, nor did I think my old calling would be so useful in the fight against the darkness, but God moves in mysterious ways, does he not? Indeed. I never suspected that my undergraduate hobby of disrupting seances would lead to anything more than a disgruntled spiritualist or two, or that I would find the real thing mixed among the charlatans, I never thought there was anything real going on. I only barely escaped when the first real medium I encountered sent an actual demon after me. If I hadn't encountered the order, I don't know what I would have done. But find me, they did, God be praised. And they put me on a new path. And here I am. Yes, seeking out and exorcising the real evil among the fools and impostors, while I set myself as a lure to attract the evil moths 
to the innocent, defenceless flame, not realising that if the devil can disguise himself as an angel of light, so too the deceiver can himself be deceived. The two looked at one another, the widowed actress and the young monk. The fight was a long one that would not end while the world lasted, but they could look forward to many victories along the way. Finally, Brother Michael broke the silence. Yes, indeed. But whatever are we to tell Algy? So there you go. There is Like a Moth to a Flame by Barry Hayworth and narrated to you by Rish Outfield. Yeah, I really enjoyed this story both in the printed form and as it was performed here by Rish. Obviously, (laughs) I, I enjoyed it because it is the first place winner of the story and I think it proves that the art of the short story is not lost. The word count on this is just over 3,300 words. And I think the story is told very well. We have all the elements that we need to understand the plot, as well as some of the history of these characters and uh, just enough information for what we need here. And I, I think it was perfectly done. There's character development. You know, we have the setup, we have, the event and and the climax and everything. And then we have kind of the denouement here uh, to explain what was really going on uh, behind the scenes of this seance. And I thought there was great foreshadowing and, and all those kinds of things. You know, there's more to Lady Cavendish than was assumed at the beginning. And we learn all that at the end. Uh, I really liked the atmosphere that was created in the story here during the seance. I thought all the characters, you know, hit their marks. Is that, that's probably not the right uh, way to say that, but all, all the characters fit in as needed. You know, it started out as, as kind of a whimsical thing. You know, we, we understood kind of the stakes that we had going into this seance and that brother Michael was there kind of to debunk it. Uh, but then it became something much more real. And we had a real demon trying to come into the physical world and and possess the body of this woman. And there was real stakes involved. And it got really scary there. And then, uh, you know, like, like I said, there was the climax there where all of that ended. And then kind of an explanation of what was going on behind the scenes. And I, I just thought it was done really well. I, I really have no complaints about this story. And I really liked the Englishness of it, if that's a word. The you know the telling of the story felt authentic, and how he used each of the words that he was given, I thought was great. And I should probably read Barry's author's note before I go too much further. Um, but I think a lot of what also contributed to this story was uh, Rish's reading of it. And like I mentioned up front, you know, his reading of each of the characters I thought was spot on. All right, let's go ahead and and read. I'll read you the author's note where Barry explains 
the inspiration and, and kind of the execution of, of this story. He says, The four words assigned to me, rebut, knock, tonal, and skull, put me in mind of a seance. Two of them suggested it definitely. The communication with the spirits using a knock once for yes, twice for no formula, while skull suggests an apparition being conjured up with swirling mists, condensing first into a skull and then into a more recognizable shape. Rebut also fits in with this, since, skeptic as I am, my first impulse with such an event is to seek to expose the falsehood at its heart. That left tonal, but I thought that it shouldn't be too hard to work that in also. So much for the central incident. What about the story? Although I had a vague idea of a story about something to do with a seance, it wasn't until late in the competition, prior to the submission deadline, that I tried to write anything. I was, in fact, going to give up on the competition and started writing to Marshall to put in my apology and at least outline what I had had in mind. Then, I thought that having got my thoughts in order that far, I might as well make a start, at least, to see how far I got. You can see how I've used the four words more or less as I originally thought. The only really contrived bit is the creepy music box for Tonal, but I think it works in pretty well. I also use the four words again as the spell for vanishing the demon. Rebut posalte neely cranium is what I got when I used Google to translate rebut, knock, tonal, and skull into Latin. I also used your name in vain, Marshall, using Google to translate Marshall Barn, Barn being the meaning of the name Latham, into Latin, thus giving me giving the word Mariscalis Horium. I thought it made an impressive demon name. I hope you don't mind. No, that's pretty cool. To be the namesake of the demon in your story is a badge of honor. <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, he also finishes up here by saying, uh, Saint Dymphna is the patron saint of mental illness and of demon hunters and is depicted holding a lamp and a sword. She seemed the natural patron for a secret religious order devoted to the hunting and exercises of demons and of the care of those freed from their influence. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you, Barry, for your story and thank you for your author's note. Uh, that's pretty cool how you used the words twice, once in English and once in Latin and how you work that in there. That That's going above and beyond, my friend. So th there you go. There's our first place winning story. And I want to once again congratulate all the winners and appreciate all those that uh, entered the contest as well as those that worked on their stories and maybe finished it outside of the contest or still has work yet to do on it. I think I'll uh, present one of my stories that I wrote for this contest. Well, I didn't write it for the contest because I didn't finish it in time, but I have since finished one story and am in the middle of another story using my Quartal Quell words. 
probably the shorter one that I finished. I'll, I'll present that here on the podcast at some point, but I'm not going to commit to a time because I've fallen into that trap <laughs> before. Uh, but before I go, I need to finish off the secondary contest. It's not really a contest, but uh, I have been prompting ChatGPT, the AI software, at least the free version of it online, to write a similar story using these words and uh, seeing what comes out the other side. And so I present to you that story here real quick. The Spectral Crusade by Chat GPT. In the dimly lit corridors of an ancient monastery, nestled in the heart of the countryside, Father Michael, a seasoned priest with a penchant for the paranormal, found himself facing an eerie mystery. Whispers of spectral sightings had plagued the monastery for decades, but none dared to confront the otherworldly presence until Father Michael arrived. Arrived with his faith and a desire to uncover the truth, Father Michael embarked on a ghost-hunting mission unlike any other. With his trusty lantern casting flickering shadows on the stone walls, he ventured into the depths of the monastery, his senses heightened for any sign of the supernatural. As he reached the old chapel, a sudden knock echoed through the silence, sending a chill down Father Michael's spine. Undeterred, he pressed on, determined to confront whatever entity lurked within. Within the chapel, the atmosphere was palpable, every sound carrying a tonal quality that seemed to resonate with the unknown. Father Michael felt a presence, an unsettling energy that seemed to penetrate the very air around him. Suddenly, a figure materialized before him, its spectral form sending shivers down Father Michael's spine. But instead of fear, he felt a sense of duty, a calling to confront this apparition and bring peace to the restless soul. With a prayer on his lips, Father Michael began to rebuke the spirit, invoking the power of his faith to banish it from the earthly realm. The ghost wailed in protest, its form flickering in and out of existence as Father Michael's words took hold. Finally, with one last defiant cry, the spirit dissipated into the ether, leaving Father Michael alone in the quiet chapel. But as he turned to leave, his lantern illuminated something on the altar, a skull, its empty sockets seeming to stare back at him with a silent plea. Father Michael knew then that the monastery had many secrets, and though he had vanished one spirit, there were undoubtedly more lurking in the shadows, waiting to be confronted. But armed with his faith and unwavering resolve, he vowed to continue his ghost hunting crusade, bringing light to the darkness wherever it may dwell. Now that's not a bad story. <laughs> that that story actually acts, but that story actually works better than any of the others that I've ever ever conjured up from ChatGPT. So, and I thought that was interesting 
that ChatGPT also used the character of Brother Michael, just like Barry did. That's kind of spooky. Or was it Father Michael in the ChatGPT story? I can't remember. But they had the same name of Michael. So, I don't know. I mean, I did, the, the prompt that I gave ChatGPT was ghost hunting priest story using Barry's words. So I did grease the tracks for a, that it was a priest doing it. So, but uh, there you go. Well, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to be part of the conversation here on the podcast, I, I welcome you to send me an email. You can send me a recording in your email of, of a question that you may have or a comment regarding these contest stories or any other subject, suggestions, anything at all. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can send an email to journeyintopodcast at gmail.com. And hey, if you'd like to support the podcast, uh, you can head on over to patreon.com slash journey into and uh, check out the options that I have over there. You can start the $1 level. I have other levels in there for other extra podcasts that you can listen to. I do try to put extra and early stuff on there. At least once a month, you get a, a Patreon address where I talk more intimately <laughs> about things going on in my life, things going on with the podcast, with my writing. I've been doing a, a media watch segment where I talk about the various media, typically TV or, or movies that I've seen over that month. And I answer a question of the month every month, sometimes generated from listeners and Patreon members. So I encourage you to check that out over there and I wish you well, wherever you may be. And, um, next time I'll be back with, uh, some old time radio for you until then stay safe out there and journey on. The Journey Into podcast is produced under Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means that you are encouraged to share this podcast with as many people as you would like. Uh, but please don't change it or sell it and let people know where you got it from. The words are rebut, knock, tonal, and skull. No, not belch. That is a five-letter word, but...